Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get going, I want to take a moment to tell you about some exciting news for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news, scores, videos, polls, photos, podcasts, player rankings, and much more. With the SB Live Sports app, it is now even easier to follow your favorite team. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more, the app delivers all the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans. With coverage from reporters Todd Mellis and Andy Bueller, me, Dan Dickow, SB Live's recruiting expert, this SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Another episode of the March Madness Rewind series of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports. Today's re-release, a conversation, a conversation had with Eastern Washington head coach Shante Leggins from back in the summer where we talked all things hoops. We talked about recruiting, we talked about philosophy, we talked about his playing career. Uh, where he played at Cal and then also at Fresno State. What drove him to get into coaching and moving on from the high school uh, sidelines to becoming one of the the most interesting up-and-coming coaches uh, in all of Division I. He's got his Eastern Washington Eagles poised to make some noise in the big dance, the NCAA tournament. They've got a nice draw. They're a 14 seed playing against a three-seed Kansas. Uh, Eastern Washington uh, is a unique team in the fact that uh, last year I thought they were going to make an NCAA tournament run. They were playing great basketball. They had a player of the year a season ago who graduated, and they liked what they had coming back. The pieces fit even better this year than a season ago. Uh, They're playing their best basketball of the year at this time. They're winning 13 of their last 14, including a – big-time win in the Big Sky Tournament title game in Boise uh, this past Saturday. As mentioned, they're in the NCAA Tournament. I think they are going to give Kansas everything they can handle, and I would not be surprised to see that being an upset um, based on seeding. So they've done a nice job of blending interior presence with Big Sky Player of the Year Tanner Groves and, and a couple versatile wings and Kim Aiken. Um 
with some really nice, steady, experienced guard play on the perimeter. So, Eastern Washington head coach, Shantae Leggins. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live. Today, our podcast during our quarantine series where we continue to bring you a conversation with an expert in the field of sports. It could be a coach, an athlete, front office executive. Today is a former player turned one of the best up-and-coming coaches in all of college basketball right down the road here in eastern Washington, none other than Shante Leggins from eastern Washington. Shante, hopefully you and your family are well and, and everything is looking to have another promising year for the Eagles next year. Yeah, they're doing well. Family's doing good. Um, kids and kids two and three years old at home, so that's uh, that's really trying. So I, I got to give it a lot a lot of love to my uh, ch- child child care at uh, over at Noah's Ark. They do a great job with the kids. So now I know exactly what they have to go through every day with all the kids. So, um, but it's been great being at home. Um, my wife's doing great, so family's doing well, and so it's good. And the players, obviously, we have seven in town right now, so. They're doing pretty well, too. That's uh, obviously great to hear that you're healthy and, and your team, uh, the guys who are still in town, are well taken care of. I want to go back really quickly to your playing career. Uh, grew up in Southern California before you went to Cal and played there for three years in the Pac-10. Uh, and then you finished your college career at Fresno State. Did you always want to become a coach during your playing career? Or how did that develop? Well, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be a teacher, and um, I thought that was something that I was going to push myself towards. But when I got to college, obviously, you want to go to the NBA. That's your first, that's your goal, that's your dream. Around my junior year, um, you know, I still thought I was pretty good, but I played against some really good players, and so I was like, "Hey, man, if if, if these guys are going to be, you know, six foot four playing my same position, it's going to be hard." You know, I thought the game like a coach, and so. You know, I'm like, hey, I'm probably, you know, at the end of the day, I'm probably going to have to coach. I want to coach. I want to be around the game. And, you know, um, depending on how my career went, I knew I always knew I wanted to, you know, be in some form around basketball. And I thought coaching would be the best thing because I wanted to be a teacher growing up. Um, and so I think that that really put me, um, it, it put a lot of stuff in perspective as I kept getting older and, and, and maturing and understanding what I want to do in life. And, you know, coaching was one of those things that I thought, would really fulfill some of the things I wanted to be as a teacher, but also, um, you know, get to deal with kids that were just like me growing up. And I thought that would be very fulfilling. You mentioned playing in the Pac-10, which is now the Pac-12. Yes. There were some unbelievable guards on the West Coast yes. uh, during that time. Any of those guards stand out to you and why? Well, shoot, man. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of things going on. I mean, you played in the Pac-10 and then, you know, you went over to GU and then, you know, you, you get to see players like yourself, but I also got to see, you know, growing up Damon Stoudemire, he was one of my idols, little lefty, you know, he on that team at Khalid Reeves on that team. Um, you know, I went to Cal, so I got to see a lot of Jason Kidd. I mean, and, you know, just as growing up, you know, the Pac-10 was, was one of those conferences that had every, every guard you could possibly think of at, at every level. Um, small, bigger guards, you know, it was, it was a, a league full of just players, man. And, and so, you, you know, I got enamored just by watching those guys play and, you know, just being around, um, you know, growing up, played against Earl Watson. That was, that was my, you know, Jason Gardner, Gilbert Arenas was at Arizona. 
you had, you know, Julius Barnes at, at Stanford. And then obviously you had Luke Ridnour, who was a stud up at Oregon that no one knew about, who was a skinny, you know, little dude up here throwing these, these passes like he was Jason Williams. Um, but you grew up with, with so many good players and guards just on the West Coast alone. And, you know, um, that, was, that was just one of the things that, you know, you just got to, got to see in the Pac-10 every night in and night out. Even when you're at home, when you're younger, you know, it was one of those things that you just, you follow. I followed everybody, you know, during those times, Baron Davis, all those guys, you follow them. And you get to see, you know, who the best. And we, I thought we had some of the best players in the West Coast, just not in the Pac-10, but throughout that whole, you know, throughout the whole West Coast. You and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the last few years, first as an assistant um, for Coach Hayford, and now as the mm-hmm. head coach. Um, you know, I've been able to call games and on different platforms uh, for Eastern, whether it's a TV game or, or a radio game for Westwood One. So that's where we got to know each other. But I'll have to say that the first time I knew about Shantae Leggins, and this will probably be a throwback for you, was the Slam Diaries way yes, back in high school. SoCal. SoCal yes. Slam Diaries, yes. Tell me how that came about and uh, how fun was that? Uh, it came about, um, I, was, I was in the gym and I was, and a guy came up to me and he just kept talking and said, hey, do you, would you mind doing a diary? And at the time, you know, you're in high school. I'm like, man, no, I don't want to do no diary. What's a diary look like? He's like, well, it could be one of the first of its kind. You know, you could, you know, um, you know, this was once I started thinking about schools I was going to and, and once I was, had a little bit of game, you know. Before then, you know, I was just this little five seven, little tiny dude that didn't really, you know, they didn't think would grow to be 5'11". Yes, but um, but they asked me if I can do it. I, I think during the during that time, I talked a lot of trash. I was very outgoing, um, and so they thought it would be pretty. They wanted me to be exactly who I was on the on you know on that. So what would happen is I would write them, and my mom would look them over and say, "No, you can't put that in there. You can't say that." <laughs> and so she would edit it. And but it was it was a lot of fun. A lot of players during that time I didn't even think about it was reading them. And I would talk about just, you know, players I played against. Sometimes I'd, you know, give a little jab here and there and then have to see them on the weekend when we played AAU ball. So, that, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but that's when I started thinking that, you know, sports can be, you know, a platform to, to reach some people. You know, not everybody, but people that were kind of like who I was. And, you know, I would talk about throughout those things, I'd talk about, you know, the players I play against, I didn't think Gilbert Arenas is that good. He's not good at Grand High School. And then he'd come out and drop 52 on us that next day. And, you know, it was just, it was just some of those, you know, that was, that was one of the cool, cool times. It was, it was the first time I ever been noticed for writing or anything to do with education in my life. And so I, I took that as a, uh, as a thing I should be getting, you know, I should, I should be getting into college because I could, I could actually write something that people like to read. And so it was, it was one of those deals that I really enjoyed want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators, a team of experienced, Sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag 
that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. That's that's awesome to hear how that came about and how you stoked the fire going against some uh, opponents in high school and I'm sure it carried over to college. But bad, you mentioned writing. <laughs> you mentioned writing. So if you're a wordsmith with the pen, do you come up with the scouting reports and do you write all the detailed descriptions for Easter now in their pregame scouting reports? When I was assistant, I did. They, I would uh, do a lot of them. Um, now that I'm a head coach, I, I go over them with our guys. We have some, I have some really, really good assistants. I mean, really, really good. I mean, they all, I think sooner or later will be head coaches. They're studs. I mean, that, you know, they, we, we look at our team and they, they do a lot of, they do a lot of the scouting reports. I watch See, as a head coach, you get to watch film and then you get to dissect their scouting report and put in what you want to do after they've done all the work. So, you know, you know, as an assistant, you're busting your tail, you're watching 15 games, you're making sure every last detail is right, and then you give it to the head coach. And, uh, and so they, they do a really good job, and I don't even have to switch a lot of them. But when I was an assistant, the guys used to make fun of me because they would call them leg- legisms. You know, I'd make up some, you know, I'd say, you, you know, you guys all know Cody Benzel, but Cody Benzel had to guard somebody on UW on isolation. And I'm like, coach, you can't put Cody out there. It's like putting a, a sheep out there with a dinosaur or some things like that. And they'd always make fun of me because I would never get the right sayings. The stars are all trying to line up together, not align. Just, you know, just, just goofy stuff. And the, the guys would pick up on it. And the players, you know, the coaches would always make fun of me. But the guys started picking up on stupid things I would say. But they would always make sense. And so, um, but yeah, as an assistant coach, I would do, I would do scouting reports and put my own little touch on it sometimes. And you know, our guys do the same thing as coaches now. What was the biggest adjustment going from an assistant for, I believe it was eight years under Jim Hayford to now being the head guy. So you just finished your third year. You've had tremendous success. Eastern, you guys, this year before the coronavirus shut down everything, you were big sky champs. You looked like you might be the team to come out of the big sky tournament and make an NCAA tournament bid. But what was the biggest adjustment from assistant to head coach for you? Well, for me, it was the relationships you have with the players. Like, I have great relationships as an assistant. I think I, I feel like I have great relationships um, as the head coach. But as a head coach, players won't tell you the same stuff they would tell you as an assistant, I'm finding out, you know. And that part was hard to deal with because I got so close with a lot of the guys. And when you're handling playing time, everything changes. It's, it's you know, they're, they, they, they more tiptoe around you more than they would as an assistant. As an assistant – and you know this as a player, um, it's not like a substitute teacher, but you could, as a player, be more yourself with the assistant coach. You know, you could, you can open up a little bit more. You could be a little bit more vulnerable to your assistant coach than you can the head coach. Obviously, I have great relationships and I spend time and I talk to the guys a lot, but it's a little different. And probably because I'm getting older, you know, I'm more now, you know, you know, getting to the age where I could be a lot of those kids like, you know, parents instead of like their big brother. And so that changed a lot, obviously, um, you know, that, that was, that was a huge one for me, but all the other things that co- goes into it, like 
handling the budget and, you know, doing things that, that I would want to do that, you know, didn't happen previously and just making some, some decisions that, you know, you never thought of as a head coach that you'd have to make and, and, and feeling a little bit more pressure. Like at night when I was an assistant, obviously you're thinking about the game and you're doing this and that, but you, you get to sleep eventually as a head coach. It's like, I don't sleep that often. You know, I'm thinking more about, well, if I could switch this, well, what happens if he does this? And, you know, you start thinking about the other things that you didn't think of as an assistant coach, because, you know, that, that record that you end up with at the end of the year is going to be on your record forever. As an assistant, you go to bed, I'm zero and zero as a head coach. I, I still got, you know, you still have all these aspirations, but, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there that, you know, are right there. They're great coaches, but they just haven't had the luck um, that some some coaches that, that are doing, you know, succeeding, obviously, you know, but it, it, it's it's a little bit more nerve-wracking, you know, because uh, you have to – you got to think that um, you're handling your assistant coaches, so you got to think about them all the time. When I was an assistant, all I thought about was myself and the players, but as a head coach, you got to think about them. You got to think about the managers. There's a lot of coaches. You got to think about the managers. You got to think about the GAs, the players, their parents. You know, you just don't. You're just not a position. You just don't worry about the guards. You got to worry about them all. And so, um, it, it's 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 a little bit more daunting than you would think. Um, but I love it. I wouldn't want to change anything for it. I mean, this is um, it, it's fun. It, it makes you feel like you're playing a little bit again. You still get those butterflies before the game. Um, with that being said, as a player, you could handle, you could say, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna get 25 tonight as a coach. You don't know what this 18 to 22 year old, you know, young man is going to do. Like, is he nervous? Did he break up with his girlfriend? Did he, is he too tired? Did he play Fortnite or 2k or something too late? Why, why is he playing like he's playing? And you got to figure those parts out as a, as a head coach a little bit more. So, um, it's been a lot of fun, but it it is an adjustment, but I, I was, I was looking forward to it and I could wait. Well, you've, been, you've had tremendous success in your first three years as a head coach. And I, I feel you on the assistants being, you know, undefeated uh, on their record. Uh, that's yeah. one reason that, quite frankly, I didn't get into coaching is because I didn't want the, the burden of a head coach of being up all night and doing different things. When the game's over, when I'm done broadcasting, it's done. I can enjoy it. Maybe I screwed up a name or two. So what? Uh, unless yeah. there's a, a ridiculous internet troll, I probably won't get called out on it. But There's a couple, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, there has been in the past. Uh, and unfortunately, I work with two of them in the broadcast booth for Gonzaga games, <laughs> Greg Heister and, and Richard Fox, uh, who you know well being in the area. Yep. You mentioned the butterflies as a, pl- as a player and bl- butterflies mm-hmm. as a coach. You've got one of the most unique rituals I've ever seen for a coach pregame. You walk the court for about yes. a good 15, 20 minutes. Most coaches either stay back in the locker room, continue to read scouting reports or watch film, or some come out and, and watch their guys go through workouts. How did you come up with this for you, and what does it do to set you in the right mind frame for the game? Well, as a player, um, and, and at home, I get to walk around. See, at home games, there's a, in our stadium, there's a, there's a thing on the outside of our gym so I can walk around and no one could really notice me. Um, on the road, I walk around our, you know, the court you know, and just, but it, it, it really, it calms me down. Um, I get to watch the guys warm up. It, it makes me not change everything before the game. I mean, our assistant coach, like I said, as a player, you know, I, I needed some, some, some outlet to, to get, you know, calmed. I get really amped up. 
I'm really, I mean, even as a player. So when I was a player in my first year, um, you know, I would be on the bus and I'd talk. I wouldn't stop talking. It was just, and I, and I didn't know, you know, because in high school, you're the man. No one really messes with you. You can do whatever you want, right? On the bus, they're not going to say anything to you. In college, you're not the man anymore. There's, there's grown men on that team. And so, you know, I'm still talking. So Coach Brown would say, so you're sitting next to me. You're done. Just be quiet. Let's get to the bus. You know, shut up. Like, just stop. Stop talking. So I would have to sit next to Coach Braun on the bus to the games whenever we had a bus game. And so that wasn't working for him because I would talk his ear off. And so what started happening was they would send me to the gym before everybody else. And I'd get to the gym like two and a half hours early. I'd be taped, dressed, ready to go. I'd be shooting in the gym. I'd be, you know, doing whatever, like, game, you know, whatever. But it was something that really kept me away from <laughs> And it sucks to be a point guard away from everybody because, you know, you just – and so when the game came, I was more focused. And so, when you know, my first couple of games as a coach, I would get really amped up. And, you know, we're, our first game, and I, I changed – we had a scouting report. It was really good. And I was sitting in there, and I was, you know, I was doing what everyone else would do when I watched everybody coach. And, you know, I was like, okay, I don't want to change everything because we put in so much work into this. And that, why change it, you know? 45 minutes before the game after we've done it all week long. And so, you know, my wife at the time, my wife at the time, my wife who's right now, not at the time, my wife who's right now, who's going to be there forever said, you need to figure out a way to let out some energy. You should just maybe just walk around for a little bit. And um, I started doing that and I did that at the Stanford game um, and we beat Stanford. So I thought that was, that was it. Do it every time. That's what we'll do. We just beat Stanford. That's a pass, the biggest school. And then we lost the next nine straight games. So maybe that wasn't it, but it did keep me focused. And, and it made me, it also let me see the guys warming up, but it also just let me just relax before the game. Cause I, I, I get a little bit too amped and, and the coaches notice, and I don't want the, I don't want the players to feel tight. And so, you know, I even do it before practice. The guys will see you and um, the guys will tell you that, yeah, all he does is walk before practice and, um, it's just something that I started doing um, my second game of my coaching career because I was too too wound up, too tight, and I just thought that I could, uh, after watching that last bit of film the night before, let's let's change this, or even after the shoot around, let's change this. Which, you know, I just thought that once we had the scouting report in, and the players knew it. There's no reason to change it. Obviously, you adjust during the game, but don't adjust before the game even happens. You have all these things in your head. Again, like I said, that you don't have as a as an assistant because you just say, "Here's my scouting report. You don't like it, you don't like it." I mean, I don't know what to tell you. And now it's like, well, do I really like that scouting report that we put together? You know, is 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 this the way to go, or should we switch it? I just watched this team do this, and let's now let's ice ball screen something we don't do, but it worked this game. And so, walking around really, really, really slowed that down because I can't write on the board, and I'm in there, and I give myself. You know, I try to get in there right around the hour, the hour mark because I won't change anything. And so once that's once that hour mark hits and, and they start their warm ups and they start their stretching, I'm, I'm off the court and I'm I'm inside trying to do anything else to keep my mind off of of changing anything that we can. Well, that's what some of the best coaches do. They have an awareness of, of, of yeah. their personality. Uh, they have an awareness of, of what can and should be done time frame wise leading up oh. to the game and so glad to hear that that's how that came Man. about and that success with it. Ah, it was tough. 
Yeah, I can only imagine. But you were recently recognized by ESPN.com uh, in their 40 under 40 list. And so yeah. essentially what that was was, you know, they, they created a list of who they viewed as the top 40 college basketball coaches under the age of 40. Could be a head coach, could be an assistant, somebody that they feel has, has a tremendous amount of potential uh, to become a great coach at the Division One level. You made that list. Now, you've had success for three years as a head coach at Eastern Washington. At what point do you start looking – I don't want to say looking for other opportunities, yeah. but what aspirations do you have as a coach, and what did it mean to make that list? Well, my aspirations has is, is always been the same, even when I started it, you know, is, is the win. Obviously, you want to win. You want to do whatever you can. I mean, my – my goal is is to win a national championship. You know, that's, that should be every goal of every coach or every player. Like, you, as a player, you growing up, you want to go to the NBA. That's the best you could possibly do. I want to win a national championship, you know. Um, you see schools that start with, you know, small beginnings, like like GU, not a little bit before you got there, but you got you excelled their program. You see, like, schools like Loyola Chicago and all these schools, Butler and, and those types of things, get to, to the thing near the mountaintop and try to get it. So that's – that's what I aspire. That's what I really want to do. And, um, you know, being at Eastern has been great. My wife went to school here. My kids love it here. I love it here. Um, and so, you you know, you don't go out and look. I don't go out and look for jobs. Um, you know, I know a lot of young coaches do. I just feel that it makes you – it puts added pressure on you to win and go get this spectacular job. But who's to say that next job you go to, you lose, and, and you crap out, you know. Um, at Eastern, I think there's been a culture – that we've been building here. Obviously it's a smaller school. Um, you know, it doesn't have some of the things that other schools per se have, but it does have great people. And so I'm, I'm excited about, you know, being, being at Eastern. And so, you know, you, you really, you really think about just winning. And so last year we finally got a taste of winning the championship and that was great. We wanted a taste to go to the NCAA tournament, but we didn't have that opportunity. Who knows? Jacob Davidson may have the tournament of his life and Mason plays really good and you, you never know. Um, that's the best part about hoops. Um, and so that's, so as you, as you look and you, and you look at your career and you keep going, you know, you want to be known as a winner. You want to be known as somebody that, uh, that, that is good at what they do. I mean, you, you, you do stuff to be, you know, recognized and, and be the best at, you know, what you do. You want to, you want to win championships. And so that's, that's what I, I at the end of the day want to do. And then, you know, being voted or, or being selected to be on that top, you know, top 40 list is huge because you put in the work, um, you know, and, and but you don't do it alone. I mean, I have some of the best, you know, coaches and, and, and people around me that make me look really good. I mean, if you look at a whole staff, not one guy's over 40. I'm the oldest guy on the staff. And so, you know, young guy, these young guys really work. I say young guys, but they're about two years younger than me and, and stuff like that. But they, they work hard, and, and I feel that, you know, if you put in the work and the, and the players believe in what you're doing, then you're going to have a successful team. And I think having, you know, all those coaches around, that's it's a big deal. And there's so many good coaches on that list, and there's some coaches that didn't make the list, but they're, they're really good. And, I mean, you know, you have a couple you have a couple guys from G and, and winning helps. Winning always helps. And so, you know, you got the guy from GU who's on there who's a Northwest guy. I know him pretty well. I don't know him great, but I know he, where he's from and then the Washington State guy. But then you got those guys ahead of you um, that you look to. It's kind of like when you're a player and you had those guys ranked ahead of you. You're like, okay, now I got to see what I got to go do. Okay, now, okay, I see those. But you have all these older coaches that were at one point, you know, our age. 
you know, and they had guys that were like in their 60s and 70s still coaching and you're the guys trying to go be those guys. And so, you know, it, it, it's great to be noticed for the hard work you put in. But, you know, until you start winning, you know, consistently, you know, that 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 list is great, but you just want to keep climbing and you want to be the best at what you do. And and that's what I, I'm hoping that one day I can I could sit there and be holding, you know, cutting down some nets or something like that, winning a national championship. I know, you know, people say it's crazy that that, that commercial you say it's crazy until you do it, you know. Um, but that's how I feel. I really do believe that if you could you know, everything aligns and you, you get everything in the right position. You could be as great as you try to be or as great as you want to be. Well, I hear the passion in your voice. And when you have a passion about something, uh, you're going to leave no stone unturned. Uh, and I can only imagine you're going to do that while you're at Eastern. And maybe it happens at Eastern. Maybe it happens somewhere else. So I wish you nothing but the best about chasing that national title. Last question for you, though, Shantae, before I let you go. We talked about your walking ritual before a game. Now, if you're going to go for a walk from your office, walk home, are you going to be listening to a, an audio book or are you going to have some music on? And, and depending on which one it is, what are you listening to? So it just depends. And, you know, um, you know, what's funny is, and the guys laugh at me before the games, like that hour. So I could either turn on a show, like a, a TV show, something I've been watching, or I'll turn on a book really loud or the music really loud. When I go for walks, usually I'm, I'm usually listening to music and it's all kinds of music. And the guys always laugh because of my, my taste in music. And so it varies. Okay. I'm a mixed kid from Santa Barbara that played the ball down in Southern California in Los Angeles a lot with my guys, but, you know, grew up around my brothers who, you know, who listened to ACDC and all the hardcore stuff. And then my sister would listen to all the R and B, you know, we have one of those, uh, you know, one of those, I forget how they call them, those, those types of families. But my, my playlists are some of the funniest playlists in the world. I mean, I got, I got real rap music, no mumbles, all right? So that's, I hate the mumbles. Then you got, you know, you got your chill hits. You know, you got your game effing day with E-F-F-I-N-G. I mean, there's a lot of different things you listen to. I'm old school. Um, you know, I call them WGS songs. If you're one of our players, you know what that means. And so, you know, it, it's, I love music. I love all types of it. And so I listen to, I listen to music a lot and it really, it's really soothing. It just depends what kind of, kind of mood you're in, but it's usually going to be music on the bus now on the bus or the plane. That's always an audio book. Um, but when I'm moving and, and, and things like that, it's gotta be music because my mind starts to wander if I'm walking. So. If I'm sitting down, just chilling, not doing too much, it's always a book. It's always going to be an audio book of, of you know, a coach, audio book of a podcast, or audio book or a podcast. Um, it's always going to be something where you're learning if I'm sitting down. If I'm walking, I got too much energy, I believe, just to, to focus on what I'm listening to. So if, if it's music, it's easy to go and listen to. But if I'm sitting, it's always a book. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Hopefully uh, you'll add the Scorebook Live Washington uh, podcast to that playlist and, and listening to us occasionally. So, Shantae, again, thanks for taking the time. Uh, best of luck to you and the Eastern Washington Eagle program uh, in the upcoming season. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again at some point in the gym. Appreciate it. I also like to say I watched you a bunch growing up. You were one of the reasons I went to Fresno, not just because of my family, but you did so well at GU. I thought, hey, that could be me. It wasn't, but I thought that could be me. 
And so, you know, watching you grow up, man, I mean, we're only a couple of years apart, but it was right around that wheelhouse, right? When you're in college, you see, you know, yourself doing really well. So it was fun watching you too. So little do that. I know people know, but I don't think people know, right? They don't know. Like they don't know. Stars got right for you, right? I, I hear you. I appreciate those words. And you Watch are you. right. The basketball community is close knit. Guys follow each other. And it's been great getting to know you over these last few years since we both live in the Spokane area. So thanks again, coach, and, and best of luck uh, to you and your program. Appreciate it, man. Keep in touch. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.